Hello and welcome to the brand new Gridiron Show, or the kind of the Gridiron Show reboot, I guess, back for the 2020 season. It's already a bizarre season for everyone involved, as we know, and we are changing things around here as well. It's a new group, there are new features, it's a new format, there are new days that we're going to be on. So it's going to be fast-paced, it's going to be a lot of fun, I promise, as well, featuring some of the faces and names that you know already and some that you don't. I'm Will Gavin. Simon Clancy is with us. Simon, how are you, buddy? Very well, Will. How are you? Overly warm and after all the technical glitches of getting this thing going, just relieved that we're actually here and making this happen. All the royal family and serial killer chat has been put to rest and we can get on with the real business. (laughs) (laughs) We're 30 seconds into the podcast. Right, good. Uh, Matthew Sherry, editor of Gridiron, is with us as well. Hey, well, I'm very good. Just to preempt what you're going to ask me, I think, but I'm very good. Oh, there it is. Oh, my God. (laughs) The fact that you've done that with that we probably need to do it. It's, it's Kaylee, wonderful. Matt's got a book coming out next oh, week, Kaylee, wow. which he, there will be about 70,000 references just today. He's like, going to market it. I'm surprised. I'm surprised there's not a massive pile of books, but with that lampshade has not been replaced <laughs> by a massive pile of books. It was only when I saw that it was a portrait frame that I realised it wasn't worth <laughs> it. I was thinking about just coming up with the book over me first. But... Sorry, <laughs> September 17th, people. Uh, so that's out next week. And uh, our new friend, uh, you'll know from Bleach Report, formerly from SI. Uh, we've spoken to her a few times before at games, and uh, we're absolutely delighted to welcome Kaylin Kayla to the Gridiron Show as a regular. Kaylin, how are you? How has been the first 10 minutes of talking to three Englishmen who <laughs> like to think they know what they, they think they know about the sport that you cover properly? It's great. I'm really excited to join you guys because I love football, obviously, but I also really love England. So I'm trying to make it really big on uh, England so I can leave America because it's just going to shit over here quickly. So, you know, we, we are definitely the people to make <laughs> yeah. that dream happen. I promise. I'm going to build a big fan uh, base over here with this podcast. I don't, I don't... I don't know how much you know about our current situation, Caitlin, but uh, but it's um, it's not it's not much better over here. I've got to tell you. Okay. If and things go a certain way in November, I'll happily swap with you. It's yeah. out of the frying pan into the other frying pan. If you know it, so, you know. We do have myself and Simon an over under about week six at the point at which Caitlin is going to understand what Matthew Sherry is actually <laughs> saying at all times. Yeah, we're going to do our best to translate and keep things going. Uh, so today's show, I mean, the season's just a few days away, so we're going to be just focusing on the beginning of the season, picking some of the key stories that we really like and re- we really want to focus on going into the year. Just a reminder, the Gridiron's Pick Challenge is back. Head to the website play section where you can make your selections for the first week of the 2020 season. As always, there's weekly prizes up for grabs for the player that predicts the most correct results each week. And make sure you tell your mates to join you for the fun. You can get involved, you can put leagues up there, you can see how you're doing overall against all of us as well. So gridiron-magazine.com and find the Picks Challenge there. Kind of contractually obliged to start off by talking about Two stories which aren't really football related, but are going to be uh, have a massive impact both on the football and on the way it's covered over the first few months. And that's obviously the impact of COVID and the Black Lives Matters movement, protests in the league and, and what's kind of happened there. We haven't done a show now in, in three or four months. And so it's a very different position to where we were around the draft, particularly from what we've seen from the league reacting to the player videos, apologising for not reacting earlier. Now, seemingly, most teams are going to be allowing players to protest. I mean, I guess we go to Kaylin because, Kaylin, you're there. You've been seeing it play out in front of you. Just how big a story is this going into week one out stateside? It's major. I think what the NBA players did a couple of weeks ago with um, sitting out of the playoff games was huge. And I think that's really caused a lot of NFL players to think about what they can do this season and how they can use their platform as entertaining this country during this time and what they can do with it. And I'm trying to figure out, I don't expect to see any NFL players sit out of any games We saw practices get canceled when the NBA players were sitting out of playoff games. You saw NFL teams like the Lions, they kicked it off. They canceled a training camp practice, which actually means a lot in this environment where we had so few practices this season. So that was a big statement, I thought. And they came out of the building with signs and they spoke to the media about, you know, how appalled they were with the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha. So I think 
there is definitely going to be a potential to see something happen. And I was actually just um, texting with a Texans player because Texans Chiefs is our first matchup. So I would imagine for the players on those teams, there's a little bit of pressure. They're the first players teams to kick it off. What are they going to do to sort of set the bar for how NFL players are going to bring attention to this cause. So I was just texting with a Texans player and he said, um, whatever they decide, they're going to keep it in house. And he mentioned they were talking with the chiefs. So he said the chiefs were going to keep it in house with the chiefs. So I don't know if those discussions have already began between the two teams. I'm not sure what that's like between those two teams, but it seems like we're going to see something that's unified and I don't know exactly what they're going to be doing, but I don't expect to see anybody sit from games. I think that's just a little bit. I think a lot of NFL players are probably more of the mindset of, well, we can do more if we're out there on the field wearing the names of victims of police violence on our helmets because they have the option to do that this year. There's going to be end zones. It's going to be painted. Stop hate. And I think end racism or two phrases kind of similar to that. So it's going to be really visible on the broadcast. And the broadcasters are also going to be talking about different stories of victims of police violence. So there's definitely going to be this attention put on this, even if the players don't kneel or do anything. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes. And I think the biggest question that I have is how are owners going to really join in on this? There've only been a handful of teams. I think of the Vikings, they put out a big statement today of like a list of five different things, initiatives that they were doing very specific things, voter education, um, black history curriculum and high schools that they were paying for and helping to promote. Their owners have been really taking a ton of initiative here. So I think the question is, what are the owners going to do? And are they going to do enough that the players are satisfied and feel supported? And I think that's the question that will kind of hinge on what we see the rest of the season. We saw what happened with Baltimore. Baltimore put that big tweet out saying, you know, all the things that they wanted to see and very specific actions as well, you know, referencing certain laws and things that they wanted to see there. But that's still an ownership who, when John Harbour wanted to sign Colin Kaepernick, there were roadblocks there to him doing so. So it just shows really how that's developed. And I think for me, the really eye-opening thing from recent weeks from the more limited coverage we get here was Hard Knocks, which is a series which, is a series which you could argue about the relevancy of, of where it is nowadays. But... If there was a time where we got a proper view into something important that was happening around an NFL team, I thought the stuff that we saw around the Chargers and their camp and and Sean McVay, but even then, we didn't see anything from the owners. And that is the big question mark. Yeah, what interests me is whether the the statement that the league put out after the players released the video that they released was was arguably the most... It wasn't the most powerful thing because the players' original statement was, but it was powerful from the sense that it was the first time that the league office themselves were taking a view of it that wasn't, were desperately trying to get out of the firing line here and, and, and try and do some things that are positive from a PR sense, but also appease the political situation. So I'm just fascinated to see what it looks like this season for that reason, because it feels like what that actually did was the players already had the platform but it gives it gives the players the rights to use that platform it's very difficult now for jerry jones to have some of the views that he had on whether players had to stand for the anthem and everything like that because the nfl has essentially given them back and to do what they want to do with it and it's going to be fascinating to see how that looks i think the texans thing is really interesting because obviously kenny Stills has kind of led the way along with you know michael thomas uh, and albert wilson with the dolphins in terms of you know kenny was obviously arrested recently for protesting on the I think it was the Louisville uh, governor's lawn over the death of Breonna Taylor and um, I mean I'm quite angry about this in a way and I say this as a position as a white middle class person who's been who's benefited from white privilege throughout my life so but you know when you've seen all these things happen I, I kind of think what's changed in three and a half years that that makes you see what's happening now that you couldn't see three and a half years ago that's the thing that really angers me and I and I you know I saw the very powerful video of Kevin Byard and Ryan Tannehill standing next to each other and Byard reading out the, and Ryan doing the same and getting very choked up. And I, and I thought to myself, you were there when Albert Wilson, Michael Thomas, Kenny Stills were kneeling. And apart from more deaths, there was still Alton Sterling. There was still Trayvon Martin. There was still all these huge number of deaths of black people at the hands of the police. And I just thought, I just found it quite hypocritical. And I, and I hope that it doesn't become tokenistic what will help the movement in inverted commas is the fact that there are no crowds you know there's nobody there to boo when it happens i'm also i suppose intrigued by what happens on saturday 
with Clemson, certainly with Trevor Lawrence had been at the forefront of everything, along with maybe Marvin Wilson at Florida State and some of the guys out of the Pac-12. Because what you really want to see is a very important, very powerful white player doing the things that weren't happening three and a half years ago. And, and I'm sure that will happen across, you know, across the league and probably across college football as well. Look, it's going to be a topic that obviously we will see what happens this weekend and get into further. And similarly, I mean, with COVID, I don't think there's a huge amount for us to say. I think people have seen everything that's happening, have seen that actually right now it's had a, quite a minor impact on the NFL and where they are in this moment. But seeing what happens once they start travelling cross-country and playing and, and all the potential impacts going forward and how roster changes are going to happen, we're just going to have to follow that and see what comes. So instead, let's talk about some football. We're not going to be able to cover off all 32 teams in kind of 45 minutes or so, although we will do our best to do a little quick-fire round-robin later on. So there's a few teams we want to start off by focusing on, a few teams that are in the zeitgeist in this moment going into week one and Matthew Sherry said we had to start with Tampa Bay I couldn't possibly (laughs) say why for regular listeners not anything to do with a Tom Brady link or anything to do with that but Matthew is a Patriots fan who's more excited about Tom Brady playing in Tampa (laughs) than he is about his own team season and we're just going to put that there it's totally understandable just just so you know I mean the reality is you take COVID away and and it is the biggest sports story in the US for how many years, Kill? And I mean, it's it's insane that we're going to see him in a different jersey. And we got the cover of the magazine designed ten days ago, and it was the first time I looked at it and thought, I'm not really sure I'm okay with this. <laughs> this this isn't right. Um, but what interests me the most actually isn't Brady in this. I think Bruce Arians is close to being the most underrated coach in the NFL. You know, he's won two Coach of the Year awards. He waited at least a decade too long to finally Mm -hmm. get an opportunity and I thought he coached his butt off again last year like I thought he did a great job I mean the Buccaneers were Jameis Winston not being Jameis Winston away from winning 10 games last season and that's with an incredibly young defence I love his whole coaching staff actually you know I think they've got one of the best defensive coordinators in the league as well and I know everybody gets fixated on his fit in Brady's fit in this offense, but it'll it'll just work. I mean, you know, Peyton Manning never threw the ball downfield even in his prime, and he worked pretty well with Bruce Arians for a number of years. So to me, it's just a fascinating story. It's the best weapons he's had. Everybody says since '07, but that forgets that when they had Gronkowski and Hernandez, they had the best weapons in the NFL, albeit two tight ends, but. Look, nobody Hernandez watched Hernandez the Hernandez and weapons, probably the wrong phrase. Yeah, 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 probably. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. oh gosh. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, ultimately, I'm, I'm just fascinated by it. I, I really think it'll work. I've seen New England's offense look maybe not as bad as it did last year, but certainly bad comparatively to what history remembers in other seasons where it wasn't in sync because... There's a reason that New England run that offense and it's because that when you get it right, it's virtually impossible to defend because it has an answer for absolutely everything with the option routes and everything else. There is also a reason that every other team in the league doesn't deploy it and that's because it has to run to perfection and it needs a certain level of quarterback to operate like that. So when it's bad, it looks really bad. And I still think the majority of Tom Brady's bad season last year was a perfect storm of receivers that were too young and didn't understand the system and and the general malaise that it's set in for the last two or three years so he looks refreshed and and yeah i mean i'm upset to You're a degree excited. but also very excited, excited to see him on Sunday I'm hugely excited <laughs> I think the thing as well is that people will wonder whether we're overblowing his particular effect and there's a great piece from former colleague of yours Caitlin and Peter King talking mm-hmm. about what he saw from Tom Brady at training camp and the way he saw him training up OJ Howard and the coaching on the field I mean he's got an OC who was drafted three years after him and <laughs> yeah. six rounds higher than him so which is just bizarre in itself so funny but it's the effect that he can have on players as well I look at like someone like Leonard Fournette who's gone there who feels like he took his foot off the gas in a massive way in the last two years in Jacksonville and you think about someone like the Garrett Blunt who they're not like for like but the difference when he's at the Patriots and is the most sensible, you know, hardworking, just goes out and does his job player versus who he was when he went to Pittsburgh and immediately gets, you know, in all sorts of trouble. And you just wonder if 
guys that are turning up there are going to be better because Tom Brady's there and whether how much that's a Belichick effect and it's a great story yeah and I mean if you think about it like Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions last season and they still won seven games which is I mean it's incredible when you think of that and so I think that speaks to Matt's point about Bruce Arians being a great head coach and, and figuring that out and I think their defense, not to shift the conversation from Tom Brady here, but their defense. How dare you? How dare I, right? How dare you? Um, Their defense last season really struggled until like week 11, basically. Like they were not good. The secondary like gave up so many yards. They were like the third worst passing defense in the league. I think this season they're going to take a step forward. They drafted Antoine Winfield Jr., who was one of the best safety prospects in this draft, but he was somehow available in the second round because of, I think, injury concern um, with him. So I think the defense, if they can improve on the momentum that they started getting at the end of last season, I think it's going to be enough for the Bucs to really challenge. I think they could win the NFC South. Um, Peter picked them for the Super Bowl, and I thought that was a little aggressive, but it's a really fun (laughs) pick because the Super Bowl's in Tampa Bay, and we, as the media, we keep rooting for these home teams to make it to the Super Bowl in their hometown, and it would be really cool to see that. So I I do think like the sky is the limit if the defense can hold their own and really improve off of what they started to catch on to at the end of last season. I I I've never been more convinced. <laughs> My God. I want to throw a bit of a spanner in the works. And Kaylee mentioned the, the defense and and I think the front seven, there are big players there. You look at the emergence of Vita Vea, you look at obviously Levonta David, one of the most underrated, still one of the most underrated players in the league. The secondary does concern me. And I think, you know, Anton Winfield's had a great camp and been everything that you thought he'd be when you saw him at Minnesota. But one of those cornerbacks, those, you know, Jamel Dean, Sean Murphy Bunting, Carlton Davis, Pernell Motley, the free agent, undrafted free agent from Oklahoma, who's had a, a really good camp apparently. One of those guys has really got to step up and I, I really like Murphy Bunting and I think he could be a really good player, but they've got to, that's now got to move from being good on paper to being good on the, on the field. And the other side as well is is the offensive line. The interior of that offensive line I really like. And again, you talk about underrated players. Ali, Ali Marpet is, is a tremendous mm-hmm. player. Ryan Jensen, obviously the centre they got from Baltimore. The tackles concern me. And I, I, I know speaking to somebody at the Buccaneers uh, the other day said that, you know, it took Tristan Wirfs a while to get his feet under him, and that's that's not a surprise given the the shortage of the of the off season. But it is a concern when you're protecting a 43 year old. For me, there are concerns. I know it's really exciting to talk about the receivers and and, and that front seven talent in, on defense and the roster of tight ends they've got. But they are not a um, a flawless team by any stretch of the imagination. On the flip side of the coin, let's talk about New England as one of the other big buzz teams going to here. Not for the same reasons that they often are, but because there's so many question marks. Uh, no team suffered more from people withdrawing from the season and opting out because of COVID and big-name players as well. Guys like Dante Hightower, who are absolutely huge to what they do on that side of the ball, combined with the losses on the offensive side. But then we get the Cam Newton story. So, you know, is it a case of the formerly rich getting richer again? Are we really concerned about the talent that they've got there? And do we think the coaching is enough to kind of carry that off? Kaylin, maybe it's a case of, like we see from the Patriots every year, an improvement gradually as we go along. Yeah, I not to get ahead of myself, but my coach of the year pick is Bill Belichick. I think it's the only answer. I think it's literally the only answer this season because... I don't see a situation where they're not going to be successful. I I mean, I have so much faith in his coaching, and I think Cam Newton is just the greatest value that you could get for a quarterback right now for them. By all reports, it's going really well for him. So I do think they may start off a little bit slow, but I don't really have any concerns for the Patriots, even though, as you mentioned, so many of their key players did choose to opt out which was really interesting um and makes you wonder like did they just have enough winning that they they didn't need to prioritize it (laughs) in the same way as everybody else did but yeah i'm not concerned i think belichick will design an offense that really works for cam and i think cam people had questions about how bill and cam were going to mesh because bill would coach tom brady so hard and people weren't sure is that going to work for cam newton i think bill is able to adapt to the player. I think he can adapt his coaching to the player. And Peter actually wrote this in his column. He singled out things that Bill Belichick had said about Cam Newton, and they were all like very positive, positive things. And he, he kind of theorized 
I think he's doing this because he knows how Cam operates and he knows how to get the best out of him. And that is by, you know, saying really good things about him in public to sort of show that you have trust in him, you have faith in him, he's your guy. So I think it's going to work and I'm really excited. It's one of the teams I'm most excited to watch this season. Simon, I'm going to come to you because I don't want to go to Matt. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> God knows why, would you? I hate to be the harbinger of doom about everything, but I... I and coaching obviously matters and Belichick has proved it year after year. I would have significant concerns about things. Yeah, the secondary is great, but I would have significant concerns about the receiving core. For me, I know and Matthew will be able to eulogize more, but I know they've had significant problems trying to stop the run during camp. Bo Allen has obviously gone to injured reserve. Lawrence Guy, really the only returning player of note in there, losing Malcolm Brown and uh, and losing Danny Shelton and stuff. So that would be a, a, an issue for me, and obviously not having Hightower in at, at the second level. So, yeah, I think that they are just such a fascinating watch. It's great to see David Andrews back. Marcus Cannon, the right tackle, opting out is a, is a big issue. Matt, would you say Yodney Kajust will slide in there at right tackle? How, what's the... It's going to be it's going to be Britain's finest, Jermaine Illumino. He, he oh, literally muted himself there because he knew he couldn't hold his tongue. <laughs> That's what's just happened. <laughs> I think Sai pointing out the run defense is right. I think that's probably actually the biggest the biggest concern. You know, Danny Shelton went to Detroit and it wasn't like he was a, a world beater, but just that space eater inside. I mean Lawrence Guy is one of the most underrated players in the league, but it's it's kinda of who you put alongside him. Adam Butler, who is kind of the third down rusher inside, is is undersized. So I think that is a, a concern. But ultimately I, I agree with Kerlin. I mean the coach of the air thing is interesting. I've always joked that when Bill Belichick retires, it's probably the award they'll name after him, mm -hmm. but they never give him it because he's so much better than everybody else. He can't win it in most years, and that has been the reality. I think he's only won it twice. I think there's a good chance he does win it this year. The reality is that we can point out flaws in, in the team, and, and I think size pointed out the two biggest. I can also point out that if the right tackle situation, which is an if, is good, then they've probably got one of the best five offensive lines in the league, and they've got the best secondary in the league. And I would say that... That mix is what propelled them to the Super Bowl win two years ago. It's still there. I think Cam will work. But ultimately, I think that there has never been a greater gap, and, and I love Andy Reid to bits, between the best head coach in the NFL and the second best head coach in the NFL as there has been in the last decade. And it, hasn't, it really hasn't disappeared. So I think while Belichick's still there, I would expect them to figure it out. And I think they'll be in the playoffs one way or another. They'll miss Let's, the playoffs. Uh, They'll miss the playoffs, was what Simon said there, just in case anyone missed it. <laughs> I, I will stand by that until that's the hill I'm prepared to die on this season. <laughs> it's all right, I'm going to pick Brian Flores as my coach of the year for when he beats out the Patriots yeah. to get to the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, uh, Simon is a Dolphins fan, if you didn't know, Kaylin. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about last year's Super Bowl teams as uh, <laughs> two of our other kind of five or six teams we want to talk about. Kansas City returning 18 of 22 starters, seemingly in positions where they work, where they are losing players as well, like Damian Williams opting out for the year. They've got Clyde Edward-Hilaire, who I know Simon is very high on as our kind of college expert at Gridiron, and people are very excited on from a fantasy perspective. And it's unsurprising, considering a year where COVID is going to ravage the amount of practice time you get, the amount of film room time you get together in the same building, that people are picking this team to go there again because you've got consistency and you've got a head coach who now has done it but also had a lot of wins before that. So anyone who picks Kansas City to go to the Super Bowl again, I, no one's going to call them crazy. You feel like Andy Reid getting over that hump is, is important. Mahomes winning so early, early is huge. Would have been interesting to see how damaging it might have been for Mahomes had he not completed that crazy play on fourth down. So I think that's what everybody's looking at. But then naturally... You know, we've seen it before. I'd, I'd, every piece I've written after every Super Bowl I've covered, particularly when it's not been New England have won, has been, oh, well, if you look at the pieces on this team, this could be a dynasty. It was the Eagles. It never materialised. It was the Seahawks. That was the one that could have were it not for one play, I think. But there's a chance for the... You, you see the pieces in place. It does remind you of Bill Walsh and Montana and that kind of thing. And, and I think if Andy Reid coaches long enough... It could happen. But yeah, I think there's that natural thing the year after. It's very difficult the year after when you've won it or when you've lost in it, actually, to kind of get back to that level. So it'll be interesting to see whether they can. As you mentioned, so many of their starters returned, Will. And I think the main difference is 
running back. I think they're going to get more production out of that position this year with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who is making a lot of noise as a rookie, um, having a great camp for them. And I think he'll be able to produce more than their running back position did last season because we didn't really see a lot from that until late in the season from Damian Williams when he came on. Otherwise, I totally think they have dynasty potential, and it's easy to say that. We'll see what happens, but they would definitely be my Super Bowl pick again because I just think they're in such a good place with such a young quarterback and so many of the same players coming back, same coaching staff. I think they're really going to be able to challenge for a Super Bowl again this season. Kelly mentioned it there, about 20, 20 of 21 coaches returning. I think that's hugely important and so sort of undervalued in terms of the ability to be able to repeat. Yeah, what will terrify the rest of the AFC is that they won it last year and the rest of the league without playing very well for a, for a decent yeah. portion of the season. I mean, Mahomes was injured and then didn't play that well in the second half of the season comparatively to his own standards. And then the way that they turned it on in those playoff games when they needed to was terrifying for well, the rest of the league. And started all of those games slow. It's the only yeah. quarterback to have three double-digit comebacks in the same playoffs. And that is terrifying, you right. know, to be in the Super Bowl and be down like you were against a pass rush, which is getting to you constantly. I think we could have probably put together a comeback against the Texans <laughs> after the first quarter. But... Nasty road Marvel. schedule. I mean, they, they go on the road at Baltimore, Buffalo on a short week, Tampa on the road, New Orleans on the road. So it's not, it's not an easy path at all. So only two losing Super Bowl teams have ever gone back and won it the following year. Uh, we were there for one of them with New England when they beat the Rams. And I'm sure Simon will remember who the other one is if we pushed him hard enough. <laughs> so why shouldn't I believe that the San Francisco 49ers can do the same, everyone? I mean, that history tells you why. It's very, very difficult. I, I didn't think enough was made of New England managing to do it. Obviously, I'm going to say that, but it, it, it oh, really was God. significant as an achievement. I mean, you know, you mentioned... I mean, they were the first team to do it since what Will's referenced in 72 when the Dolphins lost to, to Dallas and, and then Don't try and make uh, Washington the next year. But it's, it's very, very difficult. I mean, the way of history tells you, 55 Super Bowls, only two have done it. So it is difficult. I mean, the team we all feel bad for in this is the Buffalo Bills who managed to keep getting back there but managed to lose <laughs> yeah. four in a row but yeah I just think history history tells you it's extremely difficult to do but recent history tells you it can be done is that good how, how they'll react though Kaylin I, I think that's the really important thing you look at what happened with the Falcons being up 28-3 on the Patriots you know being ahead by nine late and you know midway through the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl that were pretty much in control of you know the Garoppolo with that overthrow but also, wide. more importantly, someone open for a first down, the throw yeah, exactly. that a good quarterback exactly. takes. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what you think, but I just think that that hangover from from what happened doesn't take a few weeks to get over. That can, you know, as the Falcons prove, that can last a long time. Yeah, I agree. I think they, from their offseason moves, they've done everything they can to get better and improve, and they've brought back a significant amount of the same players. Uh, so I think their biggest problem right now in this moment is their receiver core because they have yeah. just been wiped out with injuries over training camp over the summer. Even Brandon Ayuk <laughs> tweaked a hamstring a couple weeks ago, their first round pick. He was going to have a lot of responsibility now that um, Debo was hurt and Jalen Hurd was hurt. So he, I don't think he practiced yesterday. So it's going to be interesting to see early in the season as they're kind of trying to get back from those receiver injuries what their offense is going to look like without those guys because that's going to be their biggest most pressing hurdle of this moment but I think you're right like the Super Bowl hangover is definitely real I just think you know Kyle Shanahan is a really talented coach and John Lynch and him are in such close lockstep that they've mm -hmm. done a really good job this offseason of trying to build on what they had um, and their practice squad this is just a random note but their practice squad is really interesting if you look at the names on their practice squad kevin white who was the first round receiver for the bears who was the bust yeah they have jonathan cyprian the safety who i think was the second round pick and was this, yeah. yep was a starter for several years and then the third one was Dion jordan who was like a, the third overall third pick overall in like 2013 pick, yeah. yeah so it's just crazy they have like a stacked kind of like bust practice squad going on you'll sign Mohammed Sanu as well Will oh Almost yeah undoubtedly, <laughs> undoubtedly. Yeah. Like, I do well. the Debo uh, thing is really interesting Will I don't know what you think about it as a 49er fan but it feels like he's really being rushed back potentially at the risk of missing significant time you know it almost feels like you want to ease your way into the season and don't try and rush him back because maybe you miss two or three games but he's healthy or he comes back he gets hurt and he misses 9 to 11 12 games 
especially at a time when Brandon Ayuk's trying to get his feet under him. That, to me, is a really interesting decision that, that, that they've clearly made. If it was me, I'd say take it easy and have him ready to go properly in week four rather than trying to push him back now. And I think that we've not made enough of DeForest Buckner leaving. But look at that, we've run out of time, so let's move on. And, uh... <laughs> the, 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 final, the final thing I'd say, Will, and without wanting to take you back there, is just remember how our takeaway that night was. It's not that they lost, it's that they they let it slip through their fingers. And I think that is what's hard to get over. And that's what Atlanta had. And they've never been the same since. And that's what would worry me. After we discussed these kind of four teams, we said we were going to get a trendy pick out there as well. And we had a few to pick between. But Kalen's done a really nice piece, in particular on one of those teams we had out there. And Drew Locke. And I will say straight out, Kaylin, I am not a Drew Lock doubter because I'm not going to say that. I just feel like people are getting very excited for what is a small sample size going into a season where there hasn't been a lot of, you know, preseason reps, practice reps, and everything. And yet in Denver, his praises are getting sung like he's the second coming of John Elway. The people you spoke to, that certainly seems <laughs> yeah. to be the way they were talking about him. There's definitely too much hype. I will admit that, and I will agree with that. And it's hard when you do like a profile or a feature on a player not to kind of buy into that hype because every most people that you're talking to are really high on the player and telling you great things about them. So I had to sort of walk it back and be like, all right, you know, to see what's going on here. But I think Von Miller sort of said it best. Like he really praised Drew Locke. And I thought it was funny because if you just Google like Von Miller and just look at things he said in the past about Broncos quarterbacks, he said Peyton Manning and Trevor Simeon were very similar. So you had to really, you had to really take Von's comments with like a huge grain of salt because he is a, a fan of everybody. But at the end of our conversation, he was like, he's definitely our franchise quarterback. And he said, if I'm wrong, then I just don't know anything about franchise quarterbacks. And I think that's sort of the feeling in Denver right now like John Elway I asked him the same question and he he didn't say that he was like no I'll just go back to the drawing board you know like he he was like I'm not going to be have my evaluation process shaken or anything like that but I think the feeling is really high around Drew and it's like if this isn't it what is Elway kind of has to like totally reshape because he keeps looking for that tall quarterback that who reminds him of himself so it's like if Drew isn't the guy for them then they are really going to have to go back and sort of start over and kind of come up with maybe a whole new vision of what they need at quarterback. But I, I think what I learned from my reporting is they have been searching for somebody who has those intangibles, that it factor, the leadership quality, somebody who can make everybody better around them. And even though Drew played not great teams last season, he had five starts and really the Texans were the only team that were a good team that he faced a good defense, a strong playoff team that he faced. So even though he didn't face the best competition, he brought the best out of Noah Fant. Noah Fant came onto the scene more than we had seen him in the season. Even Garrett Bowles, their tackle who has struggled so much in his career, he played better. He played at a higher level. So I think it's safe to say that Drew has those intangibles more than we've seen in any of the other quarterbacks that Elway has brought in there, from Paxton Lynch to Brock Osweiler to Case Keenum and Joe Flacco and free agency. Drew has proven those intangibles are there right now, and I think that's what gives people the most hope in Denver. I think Garrett Bowles might be the biggest player in the NFL or the player in the NFL with the biggest target on his back, as it were, because it almost feels like, you know, the Broncos, you know, you look at the signings of Graham Glasgow, the drafting of KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy and uh, Nite Muti, who've all performed really well. I know Cushenbury's going to start. There are real pieces on that team. And, you know, the trade for AJ Boye, which people kind of forget about. You've got Justin Simmons, one of the best young defensive players in the NFL. Jarrell Casey that they stole from the Titans again oh. something that we just kind mm-hmm. of completely forgotten about but it feels like almost all of it sinks together obviously if Drew plays well but Garrett Bowles feels like the one guy on that entire roster that has to really step up and match his his lofty draft position because it, if he does not step his game up even further than he did last season that, that that could be the downfall of that Denver Bronco team that I think you know, Matt and I were talking about this the other night I think you go significantly deep into the playoffs I put the Broncos and the Bucks in the same camp in that they're two teams where you need to look beyond their record last season. If you look at the start of last season, they were involved in that crazy game with it was the Bears, wasn't it? They lost to the Bears mm-hmm. on yeah. week two, week yep. three, and in, in that insane ending. And, and they had a lot of games like that at the start. Now, Will knows 
I'm invested in this because I wanted somebody to give Vic Fangio a job for us. You just love an old white coach. Yeah. I, 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 love, I, love, I, love, I love old coaches who've paid their dues, which is what shot, Fangio finally. is, what yeah. Bruce Arians was. And, and I really think he can be a good head coach, but they also drafted to me the guy who was the best, certainly the safest player in the draft in Jerry Judy, mm-hmm. and it's no surprise He's lit up camp, the best route runner I've ever seen in college football. So, lots, well, lots. Of I'm buying in on the Broncos because Kaylin's buying in on the Broncos, Jay. and of everyone that's spoken here, she's the convincing one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's uh, true. We, I'm going to come to one of you each on Buffalo and Arizona, who are other two teams. Matthew, Sean McDermott, I know is someone you're a huge fan of. So, why should we be excited for Buffalo? Because of everything except for Josh Allen. Basically. <laughs> like, they've got They're everything else. It's true, though. Unbelievable true. players. I think, I think if you put Cam Newton on them, I would pick them to win the Super Bowl. What, like, the that's why I think it's, Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm talking about a quarterback who they could have got for very little money, where I would say that, yeah, absolutely, they've got a much better chance of winning. Simon, Arizona. This is, uh, Katie, this is you this, so, <laughs> Katie, there's a backstory here. We are the enemy number one of every Arizona Cardinals fan Why? in the UK because we all hated the Cliff Kingsbury home. Like, <laughs> hated it. And uh, But he has such a nice was, house. Come on. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean. <laughs> we didn't know. know that at the time. I yeah. mean. <laughs> if we'd have seen his house before he got the job, we'd have been all in. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of Twitter spats last year. Anytime the Cardinals looked any good whatsoever, basically, <laughs> they came for us hard. So are we going to be eating our words this year, Simon? The Kyler Murray progression is obviously really important. Year two, uh, I thought he looked pretty good down the stretch in the offense. Obviously, you know, receiving talent is is huge, and you know, to be able to bring in a DeAndre Hopkins to to complement what they already had is, is massive. Buda Baker, we we've talked three or four underrated players, and it was great to see him get get paid the other day because he's a I think he's a tremendous player and has sort of stepped into that Tyron Matthew position. Isaiah Simmons is obviously huge, and then another under I mean Chandler Jones flies under sort of almost everybody's radar, but must be a he's got to be close to a Hall of Fame career given what he's been yeah. able to do over the last six seasons. I mean, nobody has more sacks in the last six years than Charlie Jones. So I think it's, you know, it might be a little bit, it might be a year too early. There's a couple of teams where you just think, you know, might be a year too early for them, given the hype. But I think certainly, much as it pains me to say it, given how much we hated Cliff Kingsbury, apart from his house, <laughs> that um, they seem like they're on the right path. We're going to rattle through the rest of the league, just to make sure we don't ignore everyone. Simon, um, from our WhatsApp conversations, I won't be asking you about the AFC Central, but instead we'll ask about the AFC South instead. (laughs) As I said, if you you got to live through... Much like all Dolphins fans living in the early 70s. If you got to live through... through, Oh, my God. You got to live through Bubby Brister and Akili Smith. You get to call it whatever the hell you want. <laughs> I, I saw more David Klingler games than you could shake a stick at. So it will always be the AFC Central to me. Uh, so we're going to come to each of you for a division and literally just a line on each of the teams we've not mentioned yet. And I'm going to go in the order that was sent to me. So, Kaylin, we'll come to you first for the AFC East. Just a couple of teams to write off. Okay, so Miami, I think at some point this season we are going to see Tua. And I'm excited for that. Hopefully it will be after midseason. Let Fitzpatrick do his thing until he struggles, which is sort of his pattern. I think offensive line is the biggest question here. They have four new starters, I believe. Rookie left tackle, a rookie right guard, and they don't have any game action together. So how that line meshes together. They had the NFL worst rushing game last season, I believe. New York Jets... I think offensive balance is going to be tough here for Sam Darnold, who really kind of not necessarily in a prove-it year, but I think a lot is expected of him this year. They don't really have a perimeter playmaker right now. Brashad Perriman has speed, but hasn't necessarily shown that consistent production. Not sure if Darnold is going to have enough players to prove his best in this offense. And I think Gase is going to need to really rely on Le'Veon Bell. Obviously losing C.J. Mosley, who opted out at linebacker in the Jamal Adams trade to Seattle. The defense has a lot of work to do. That is the kindest way of putting the least talented defence we've seen in a long time. Yes. And an, Ad- an Adam Gase team struggling with offensive balance, you'd never thought. Right. Simon, the AFC South, please. Yeah, start with the Texans. It feels like, you know, the big, the end of the Bill O'Brien era. It, this horrendous general managership that he's also sort of overseen. I think there are pretty huge question marks over Deshaun Watson's skill positions and the supporting cast, and especially at receiver when you think of the injury history with um, with Will Fuller and with Brandon Cooks. That to me is a they're going to need a big season, I think, from David Johnson if he's to you know to, to bounce back to that sort of certainly that rookie form in Arizona. The Colts, I think, if Phil Rivers is nice to do too much, 
you know, I think this is a really good team with a lot of young players. You look at Quentin Nelson, you look at Darius Leonard, you look at some of the guys in the secondary, you know, not particularly well known around the league. Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack could combine for a, um, I mean, they could run all over defences all season long, so Phil won't have to do too much. The Jaguars, for me, it's literally which coach and general manager will get to draft Trevor Lawrence first overall. That's the, <laughs> that's the only joy for this season. And for, for the Titans, I suppose, can Ryan Tannehill put together another season like 2019 you know it's a big question mark but I think there's two players as well I'm really keen to see for the Titans Jeffrey Simmons who looks like a, a future all-pro a defensive tackle and Darrington Evans who I think will spell Derek Henry uh, and should have a big season and with that Jadavian Clowney signing combined with him in the middle I mean that's a signing that maybe suddenly go oh maybe the Titans might be interesting this year Matthew the AFC North please yeah, I mean, obviously, all eyes on with the Bengals on, on Joe Burrow. Is he the saviour, the Ohio boy comes home? That's the storyline that will loom over the season, but the one that, that, to me, will define how the season goes is whether Zach Taylor can, can coach. I mean, we're talking about people in Cliff Kingsbury who we thought were over-promoted. I think you could say that the same existed for Zach Taylor last season. I, I wonder whether they'll look back and regret not taking uh, the LSU OC who's now in Carolina, whose name has escaped me, Sorry. I didn't understand what position he said, so I can't. Joe Brady. <laughs> now, now it's not Joe getting Brady. I heard LSU, but then I, I don't know what happened after yeah. that. <laughs> have, you under, have you understood anything that Matthew said? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've gotten most of it, but Absolutely. I was going to try to help him out, but I really didn't hear what position. Should, should I start Cincinnati <laughs> no, again? Leave this in, it's much better. Joe Brady. <laughs> Joe Brady, LSU. Yeah, I wonder whether they'll regret not making a run at him. That would have worked so well with Burrow. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, again, it's coaching. Have they finally got a coach that can transform the culture there? I don't think we doubt the talent, even more so this year than, than last year. But that whole operation is about the culture and improving it. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers are the forgotten team in the NFL. And I wonder whether that's a little bit unfair, you know. The funny part is that in the Killer Bees era, they never had a defence. Now they've got potentially elite defence. But can, is, is Big Ben still elite? I don't think he is. I don't think he needs to be with a defence that good. But the question is whether what level is he at? We have absolutely no idea. We saw... I actually was at both games he played last season. I was at the Patriots one and the Seahawks one. And he didn't look good even before the injury. AFC West, Caitlin. So Vegas Raiders, still not used to saying that. They have a lot of new faces on defense. And Jonathan Abrams, the rookie safety from last year, he's coming back healthy. So I think they you know, have lacked a lot of defensive production, especially since trading away Khalil Mack, and especially playing in the AFC West where they have, unfortunately, the Chiefs. So I think that's the biggest question for the Raiders. And you know, does Derek Carr take another step forward in his third season now with John Gruden? For the Chargers, I think the question for the Chargers is what's the plan at quarterback? Tyrod Taylor, I understand why they want to start him. Obviously, I think it's a good plan because Justin Herbert, you don't want to rush him out too soon. But I just remember, you know, Tyrod, I think it was a concussion that knocked him out in Cleveland, and that's when Baker Mayfield took over. So I do kind of worry a little bit about Tyrod's injury susceptibility and how soon, you know, if that happens too soon, then what happens to their season? Lovely. Right. We're going to speed this up. NFC East, Simon. I would say a lot of talent for the Cowboys for rejuvenated Mike McCarthy. My biggest concern, as it has been throughout this show, is the secondary. You need Trayvon Diggs and probably <laughs> Chidobia Wuzier need to step up. And, you know, without Byron Jones, I think that's a big issue. The Giants is such a young team. Joe Judge might be the right guy, but is Daniel Jones? I think that's the biggest question. The Eagles, can Carson Wentz stay healthy? I think it's the biggest question for them. You know, huge onus on team speed uh, in the offseason. Jaden Rager obviously was brought in, but he's injured. Darius Slade defensively, a really good player. That'll be very important that they can keep that triumvirate healthy. And then Washington, you know, all the talk is about Dwayne Haskins, uh, and rightfully so. But I thought it was interesting. Uh, people around him, I spoke to somebody within the Washington organization the other day who said that, you know, you'll be amazed at the strides he's made both on and off the field, just in terms of the way he looks after his body, mentally, in his leadership role. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't foresee a huge amount of wins for Washington, but I do see significantly better quarterback play, which should be important moving forwards. Couldn't have a better person to work with than Alex Smith either in terms of leadership coaching on the field like you know it's ideal person to be working alongside him uh, go back to Matt for the West we've obviously chatted about both the Cardinals and the 49ers so the Rams 
I just wonder how, <laughs> it seems weird to say, but is the window closed on this McVeigh-Jared Goff era? Not McVeigh, who I'm sure will be there for a long time, but I'm not convinced they can win with Jared Goff, a quarterback. And that is not hindsight, as anybody who listens to this show knows. I was very clear in saying oh, that even when they were in the middle yeah, of the yeah, Super Bowl we run. Know, we all know. So what does the defence look like without Wade Phillips as well? I mean, that was one of the more interesting coaching moves. And then the Seahawks... As ever, excited about Russell Wilson. He was supported brilliantly at the start of his career. He hasn't been in the last five years. They've still got the worst offensive coordinator in the NFL. That still worries me. I just, I think the ceiling for the Seahawks is what the last two years have been until they changed, certainly their offensive coordinator and generally the, the talent level around Wilson. Kaylin, our, uh, our campaign for more um, and more surrounding talent for Russell Wilson is something that will run and run and run <laughs> through seasons, through years of our relationship together on this podcast. It will be, well, until the, I want him to be MVP the biggest, at some point. Yeah, yeah another another he, travesty that he's never won MVP. So he should have won it last year. He's, he's never had an MB, MVP, MVP vote. vote. Not even a vote. He is more, yeah. Not a single vote. He is sure. more loved here on this show, on the, in this magazine, on this podcast, than he is at home by his <laughs> wife. <laughs> Kids. To be clear, he's more loved by two thirds of the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> in the NFC North. Okay, so Packers, what did they do to address a needy receiver position group? Absolutely nothing. That's all I have to say. Uh, they drafted a quarterback <laughs> in the first round, obviously. <laughs> right. And a running back in the second round who's third on the depth chart. <laughs> so that's all I have to say. We can move on. Detroit. Matt Patricia has to win this year. That's it. I mean, he's done. If he can't win games, especially improve a defense, he's a defensive coordinator. He's a defensive-minded head coach, and his defense is so bad that nobody even noticed that Matt Stafford is playing at an MVP level. So Matt Stafford's going to be great again. Give him a defense to back it up. Vikings have a lot of new players on defense, so I think the question is, can they match that level? They've set such a high standard on defense so consistently. They've ranked in the top 10 in defensive efficiency in each of the past five seasons. So they have a super young cornerback group, Simon, so that might concern you, a secondary to be really strong. Um, but they ha- they're going to they're gonna have to rely on some rookies to contribute at cornerback after losing all, pretty much all of their starting cornerback, their veterans from past years in free agency this season. So that's going to be a little bit different for Mike Zimmer. He doesn't typically tend to play rookie cornerbacks. So I think that's their question. And then the Bears, why are you starting Mitch Trubisky? I have no clue. I, <laughs> that bothered me so much. Everything they did with that quarterback competition just disturbed me on so many levels because I just don't know why you wouldn't take a flyer on Cam Newton. If your intention was to start Mitch Trubisky and give him one more shot, which clearly it was because you didn't sign anybody who was obviously more talented than him. If that was always your intention, then why would you not take a flyer on Cam Newton, who was much cheaper than Nick Foles? You didn't have to trade for him. You traded a fourth round pick and you're not even starting him. He's like the most expensive backup ever. You live in Chicago, Kenny. What's the reaction been in the the sports talk radio? I think people are just like, why? I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily a surprise. I think a lot of people kind of saw them going that way because it just seems like a pride thing, like almost like they're too proud to admit that it's not working. But he started 42 games. I don't know what else you need to see. 42 games? that's That's so much experience to judge what he is. So I think it's crazy, but I think the only silver lining here is that Nick Foles is really good off the bench, as we know. That's where he shines. So maybe that's the strategy here, and they won't admit it. Like, they want Foles to come off and save the season. Right. By the way, we referenced one of your former colleagues previously. One of the finest things that another of your former colleagues, Conor Orr, has given to the world (laughs) is the nickname Bortles North. Yes. uh, (laughs) Yes. For Mitch Trubisky, because you see how they've handled that situation, yep. and it is almost identical at this point. It really is. We've gone an hour, and we said we were going to do a tight 45. So <laughs> I question you lot whether we want to do our, our predictions or not. Maybe we should just fire them out relatively quick fire, just so we can be held with our feet to the fire at the end of the season. We also need yes. to cover the LFC South, Will. Which uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the fan, for the fans of the Saints, Panthers, Falcons, and Buccaneers, well, not the Buccaneers, but they're just sitting there like, what? What are these three, four idiots going on about? We talked about the Bucks for like ten minutes, and they yeah. might finish last in that division. So I mean, Simon Clancy. Saints. I mean, so much talent everywhere, but actually, the biggest question mark is over the 
the biggest name, Drew Brees, and can that arm hold up? And it looked like it fell off a cliff back end of last year. Panthers love Matt Rule. They're very young. Kind of flip side to the Saints. You know, some young players. Dante Jackson in the secondary. Derek Brown, I think, is a just has had a tremendous camp and looks every inch the, the top 10 player that he patently was in the draft. And the Falcons, which Falcons team is going to show up, I think? You know, it's either the last hurrah for head coach and general manager or it's you know it's, it's the team that went one and seven over the first eight weeks, or it's the team that went six and two over the um, over the last eight weeks. Who knows which of those those two Falcons teams will show up? But it you know it's shit or bust for for Dan Quinn and uh, and Thomas Dimitrov. Now we're going to do the predictions, and we're going to go relatively quick fire on them, and we'll go backwards up the list, starting off with everyone's first overall pick. So after three, one, two, three, Jaguars. Let's move on. Uh, is anyone picking anyone <laughs> other than the Jags? I would pick the Panthers, but I love Matt Rule. It'll just be a, a bump in the road at the start. I might say Jets. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're the three, I think. If it's the Jets and the Panthers, it throws up a very interesting bridge And, well, yeah, Sam Darnold. It's a very interesting decision then about what you do over, you know, whether they take Pinay Sewell or trade down and take a massive stockpile of picks for an absolutely sensational college quarterback. We already know Kalen's coach of the mm-hmm. year. I feel like we might already know Matthew's coach of the year as well, based off that. Bill Belichick. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Simon? Vic Fangio. Okay. I'm legitimately, I joked about it earlier, but I'm legitimately splitting between Sean McDermott and Brian Flores, whoever actually wins the AFC East in the place of the New England Patriots. It won't be because Miami, so happen. go with McDermott. All right, Sean McDermott <laughs> it is then. He's my coach of the year. Rookie of the year. Now, we've not split this offence and defence, so feel free to do so, Simon. Kyle was hilarious or Antonio Gibson on offence and Derek Brown on defence. Kalen. I'm going to go with Joe Burrow, offense, and then Chase Young or Jeff Okuda for defense. Jerry Judy and Chase Young. I am going to go Joe Burrow and Chase Young and be really boring and copy Kalen, but <laughs> I think that's going to be the most sensible way to go about this throughout the rest of this show. <laughs> I'm just going to move on to MVP. Uh, Lamar Jackson. Kalen. I'm going to go Russell Wilson. Yeah, come on, you can come again. <laughs> Matthew. Russell Wilson, definitely. <laughs> Mr. Unlimited. Uh, I'm going to pick Patrick Mahomes. It'll be boring. There we go. Super Bowl picks. I am going to take the Baltimore Ravens to beat the San Francisco 49ers in Tampa Bay in February. And I don't care what you think about it. Matthew? Uh, I'm going to pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> against the um, Patriots. Against the New England Patriots. <laughs> oh, that would be your the way to the No, no, oh, no. the Baltimore Ravens. But how good would it be? No, Buccaneers Patriots would be, be amazing. It would be the worst thing that's ever happened to the sport ever. No, I'll pick them over, over the Ravens. Kaylin? I'm torn. Definitely Chiefs. Either Chiefs, Seahawks, or Chiefs, Bucks. And then I think the Chiefs will win. Really, really this high on the Bucks? This is <laughs> astonishing. Uh, Simon? Uh, Baltimore, New Orleans. Oh, are you picking Baltimore over New Orleans? Yes. I think New Orleans have been the losing Super Bowl finalist in predictions on this show every year <laughs> for the last seven years or so. So it's a perfect way to round us off. Thursday night football, Chiefs-Texans. We'll be, of course, doing plenty of stuff across social media at Gridiron or at UK Gridiron on Instagram. Uh, you can subscribe to the magazine as well. Issue 55 of Gridiron is out now, featuring, an, what a surprise, an in-depth look at Tom Brady's move to the suddenly <laughs> running Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> Who's the editor of that magazine get... again? What team is he? It's no, gone. Can it. I just say, it's the best headline for a magazine we've ever had. Brady in red. Superb. Oh, oh, that's God. good. I like that. It's not painting. Don't encourage him. Don't encourage him. I like it. Um, but you'll hear from Bruce Arians, Brian Baldinger, Scott Pioli, Simon Clancy himself... Uh, I'm Mike Carson. We'll be looking at the best head coaches. We uh, And you can subscribe now. £2.29 a month from as little as. Grabbing an issue for every month of the season right through to and including the draft with all your favourite UK names as well. Jeff Reinbold, Rob Ryan, Pro Football Focus guys are involved. And the annual's out as well. Edited by Neil Reynolds, 140-page football bible ready for you to start the new campaign. Uh, Caelan, are you going to come back after this experience? I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's about the best response I've ever had to that question so I'm feeling pretty good about myself Simon, Matthew, wonderful work as always hit us up on social thank you so much for listening and watching this has been The Gridiron Show